uh, we kind of, as Brian says, kind of put it into first gear, uh, really slowed down a bit as we come upon this section of Scripture talking about the Lord's Prayer where the disciples had asked Jesus, had seen something different in Jesus, and were curious enough to ask him to teach them to pray like he did, and like John taught his disciples. And so we've kind of walked through um, this prayer, and we've made it to past the Heavenly Father part, the holiness of God part, the kingdom come part. And today we're going to spend a little time on give us each day our daily bread. Now I have to admit <clears throat> that when the lot was cast to me for this, I was at first kind of like, uh, um, it's a big topic for me. I assume, and maybe by the end of this, you'll see why. But um, my goal in this uh, is to, it's sort of one of those misery loves company messages. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's not misery. I'm, I'm kind of joking. But there is a little bit of that, and you'll hopefully sense some of that as we go through it. But my goal today is to answer basically two questions about this text about this short phrase, give us each day our daily bread, seems pretty simple. But the main thing I want to discuss is what does it mean? Seems simple enough. It seems like something we should be able to understand without a whole lot of exegeting. But I want to look into what does it mean. I want to answer that question. And I also want to ask the question, why did Jesus include it? There's what, five things, five or six things listed here in this prayer. Why is this one of them? Why does he care so much that we come to him, come to the Father with this request to give us each day our daily bread? And then I want to finish up with some key thoughts for us today, maybe some thoughts that, kind of, that I have that uh, maybe you can share with me in it, and hopefully have time to emphasize, you know, what's at stake in all of this? Why do we need to care about this? Why do we need to be able to pray from the heart Give us each day our daily bread. Now, as I've already mentioned, this fair warning, this is probably a 20-year-plus exercise for me, a wrestling match, if you will, with my flesh and with God, I'm sure. So on one level, I'm very nervous to preach this text, knowing how difficult it has been for me over the years to really navigate it well with any kind of peace. But on another level, I'm eager to preach it because... I know how important it is that we get this right as a church and as children of the Most High God who is building His kingdom. It's important that we get this right. And I pray this morning that He be pleased to help us to navigate this well and right. And I don't want, the last thing I want is for my drama to come out, my turmoil to come out on you. If it's not from the text, if it's not what Jesus wants for us, then I pray that the Spirit would just blind you from that and just take what He wants you to hear this morning. So I want us to see God as our provider. I believe He wants to see us, see Him as our provider and feel certain things. He wants to show us something about Himself in this little phrase. <clears throat> and we need to feel something about that when we see it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to change, be changed by it. So let's start off with prayer. We need His help in this. Father, 
we do come to you as beggars in need of you. Every breath, every heartbeat, every step we take, we are in need. And so, Lord, we stand this morning before you as people who, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we can come to you and ask you for things that we have otherwise no right to ask. But Father, because of Christ, we come and we ask that you would show us big things about you as provider, you Jehovah Jireh, and that it would stir something in our heart and it would change us. Fundamentally, it would change us so that we live lives in ways that make sense in light of who you are as our provider. God, help us with that, I pray this morning. So give us each day our daily bread. This is Luke chapter 11. You've made your way there to Luke chapter 11, verse 3. I want to answer the question first and foremost, what does it even mean? What do these words mean? Primarily, looking at the context and contextually, this is just a, a physical provision for food, sustenance, basic needs of life. By God's design, we are physical beings who need physical food, we need water, we need basic needs of life to survive, otherwise we die. But there's a temptation, I think, and this was my temptation, was to allegorize, quickly allegorize that and to say, yeah, yeah, we get that part of it. We understand that we have needs in life. We know that we need food, but surely he means something more than this. So we allegorize it or we broaden it to Jesus as our bread. I spent a ton of time looking at passages about Jesus, our bread, and he is. And if you were to come away here thinking that Jesus is the bread of life and he is the source of the sustaining power for our souls, you'd be right. That'd be a good thing to come away with. But the question is, is this, is what, Je is this what Jesus had in mind when he instructed his disciples? That's the key part of this. Should we generalize it and just say, oh, God will take care, his promise to take care of our basic needs? Kind of a subjective thing. Needs in Liberia are a little different than the needs here, but he'll promise to take care of our needs. That would be true to some extent. But we still need to answer what does he mean when he says and encourages us to feel the weight of give us each day our daily bread. I want to answer that. Is it about dependence? Is it about contentment? Is it about something entirely different altogether? And like with many other things that Jesus talks about, Jesus wants to get to the heart. He's so good about getting to the heart of the issue. So I want to take a closer look at this short prayer, this little phrase. Starting with number one, give us. Just the first two words, give us. I believe these words carry with it just the weight of a basic dependence, a heart of dependence, humility. Someone who is in desperate need for something that they cannot get on their own. They need some outside force to intervene. Otherwise, they don't get whatever they're seeking. If this weren't the case, there'd be no reason to even come to him and ask. So this first give us is rooted in a heart of dependence. And the people that Jesus is talking to, this was not a foreign concept to them. They understood the, the, the need for, they could till the soil and they could cast the seed, but that was it. Assuming God had given them the health and the ability to even do that much, 
That was the extent of their abilities to take care of their own crop. They relied on God to provide the rain for the soil to take, or for the seed to take root in the soil. They needed God's help. Whether they prayed to some false God or whether they prayed to the real and true God, they were dependent upon someone else for this. So they understood the importance, the reality of their dependence upon God. And Jesus is wanting his disciples and us today to feel that same type of dependence, that same humility of heart, that same heart that says, Lord, without you, I can have nothing. I need your help today. He does not want us to arrogantly think that we have what it takes to provide for ourselves. We Americans are so foolish in thinking that we have what it takes to provide for ourselves. Who needs God? So it's a foundational and crucial truth that we start with humble, needy hearts that look to God as our provider. And when we truly feel this reality true in our hearts, when we truly feel that dependence upon Him, we can truly from the heart say, God, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Apart from you, Lord, there's no hope for me. So next we look at the next phrase, each day. Now each day, I believe, emphasizes the ongoing frequency of this prayer. This dependence, this need is not a one and done type of thing, as much as we would love that to be the case. Jesus intends that we feel a fresh and new sense every single day that we need Him. We never get past needing Him, ever. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of that thought of me, uh, that thought tires me. When I think about it in the context of my family, imagine kids, two, three, seven, eight kids coming up to you every single day asking for food. Imagine that. We don't have to imagine that. They do that, and it's tiring, isn't it? Every single day they come to us, what are we going to have for dinner? What are we going to have for breakfast? Abby, Abby, Abby. Every single day they come to us, and I know that it annoys her sometimes. Now, it annoys me too, I'm sure. But our Heavenly Father is not like us, thankfully. He views children that never stop coming to Him with open arms and open hands saying, God, we need you. We need food today. We need food today. We need food today. He never tires of that because it exalts His worth as provider. It exalts who He is as Father. And He never gets tired of our coming to Him as His source, as our source of sustenance. We come to Him out of His abundance, not our own. And that exalts his, his abundance, not our own. And He views this as sweet and pleasurable and good. And so Jesus wants our hearts to not just feel that sense of dependence, but to feel it every single day. And when we feel that sense of dependence every single day, our hearts will naturally want to come to Him in prayer and say, Father, Give us this day our daily bread, each and every single day, and it will each day be His pleasure to provide it. Next, we'll look at daily bread. This speaks to the heart of contentment. This is where the real rub comes for me. How much bread is Jesus telling His disciples 
to pray for. Just enough for that next day. Literally, it means give us this day our bread for tomorrow. 24 hours. He's not asking for a month or a year or to take care of us, a one-and-done request, and He takes care of us, and then we have that promise forever. It's every single day we are coming to God in faith, asking Him for another day, another day, another day's worth of sustenance. It seems to us so inefficient and lacking. We love to buy things in bulk. We go to Costco because we like to buy things in bulk. We get nervous when the shelves start to get thin and we're like, everybody's complaining about not having enough food despite the fact that there's a ton of food in our house. But we love to buy things in bulk and it also feels a bit risky. It would almost seem foolish if, if I were to come to you and say, I plan one day at a time. I plan for one day at a time. I don't look beyond. I plan for the next day. And I ask God to provide for the next day. It feels risky to only ask for a day. So our hearts ask for maybe a week. So we go to Costco and we stock up and we buy maybe three weeks worth of food. And we fill our pantries. And this is where we get tripped up because it's not long before, and you know this to be true, that soon a month of provision isn't enough. Soon you'll be desiring six months of not just food, but stores in the bank. And then you won't have a pantry big enough for that, so you'll clear out space in the basement. And then a pandemic hits, and you start seeing, gosh, there's no toilet paper, I can't get it. And you start thinking, man, our food supply and our whole supply chain, our way of life is pretty vulnerable. I probably should start preparing for one to two years, maybe. Because I know how vulnerable we can be. Taliban's taken over in the Middle East. Hyperinflation is coming. We watch the news and fear starts to hit us. And prudence, wisdom starts to take over, starts to rule the day. And we start planning and we start preparing. I might lose my job. I better store up, listen to Dave Ramsey and store up a couple of years worth or at least six months. I must be prepared. And I'm not saying these are foolish things to be thinking about. But before long, the problem is, is that we've lost sight of who is really providing for us. Before long, we think that we work harder, we save more, we keep more, because we need more. So we build a shed out back and we make room for all that Costco has to offer. And soon what started out is a little lack of contentment. We have to admit that. What started out as a little lack of contentment gave way to fear. And the fears gave, uh, caused us to go to one to two years. And the next thing we know, we're really anxious over having enough for retirement. And we need 15 to 20 years saved up. It never ends. Our sense of control and our sense of desire to control our fate never ends. It's never enough. And I'm not here and I'm planning on not telling you at all what enough is for you. That's between you and God to figure out and to wrestle through with me. But it's the wrong question to be asking anyways is what's enough? 
it's like when we talked earlier about the Good Samaritan and uh, the guy asked, well, who then is my neighbor? Trying to justify himself, right? We talked about that on Wednesday night. That's the wrong question to ask. If you're asking the question, who's my neighbor, Jesus? You're trying to figure out what's the least I can do to try to check that box. Well, if, just like the same way, if you're asking how much is enough, how much is too much, you're asking the wrong question. So we want the Spirit to guide us in this. We want some texts to help us. And there's two passages that, among hundreds, I mean, there's the, this Bible is full of helpful texts to help us navigate this. We may not like the answer, so we may wrestle with it, but it's there nonetheless. And so Proverbs, I want you to read Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. And this is one of a couple passages I'm going to read this morning to help guide our hearts in regards to this natural and sometimes insatiable desire for more and more and more. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty. This is one thing he asked. He asked for two things, but this is the second one that he asked for of God. He said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. And hear this, Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There is wisdom in asking for just enough. We think we can handle abundance. And maybe Paul learned how to do it, but I don't know that we have. I haven't. So there's wisdom in asking God to feed us with the food that is needful for us, nothing more, because we have to admit the Bible tells us that the tendency is to deny God, to forget Him, and to say, who is the Lord? And to say, I got this from here on. And to foolishly rely on ourselves. May we never be like that. May we never be the ones who deny God His rightful place as provider and say with arrogance, who is the Lord? I can handle it from here. Another passage that we need to consider is Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are harsh words, warnings that are intended to guide us and to help us avoid the pitfalls of that desire to be rich, desire for more. And then in verse 17, he goes on to say, as for the rich in this present age, that's, that's us, that's everyone in this room, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So you want a foundation? 
for your future? You want a foundation and you want to take hold of that which is truly life? I assume that's why we collect. That's why we, that's why we accumulate, right? We want to protect our future. We want life. We want to experience all that life has. We, Paul is telling Timothy to be content with less, to put your hope in God as your provider, and to be generous and ready to share. And this is the fight of faith. He says that in this context, that we need to fight the good fight of faith. So that's why we pray. That's why we ask Him for help and guidance in these matters. And we feed on His Word. We look at texts like this, and we, we feed on His Word and pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to give us a clearer sight of Him as provider. And that He would give us sweeter tastes of Jesus over the taste of the things of this world. It starts to lose its luster as you, as you see Christ for who He truly is. And you begin to develop a taste for Him by the Spirit. We start to lose that taste that's so foundational. As part of the fight is the fight to see Jesus for who He is. And when this happens in our hearts, when we can truly see Him for who He is and we can let go of that desire for more of this world, it will be natural for us to say, Heavenly Father, give us each day our daily bread. Daily. With this I will be content, for I have all that I need in Jesus. And by way of a little application, maybe a little exhortation, I know that the thought of a daily portion of food or provision is inconceivable to most of us in this room. It doesn't even honestly compute. I mean, I speak for myself when I say, I really have not known what it is like to know, to, to feel the stress of not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. The stress of relying on God to provide for me and my family this literally Day by day, we act like it's an impossible thing for us here in 2021. It doesn't even, this is for the agrarian societies, that, not for us. So we try to define daily bread in a different way. Can't mean it literally. And so for weeks, as I've already shared, I as I prepared for this message, I really did fight against trying my best to allegorize it. It can't just mean daily bread. Or at least broaden it to something that would be more palatable or easier for me to apply as a well-to-do American. But when I looked at the text and I looked at the broader context of this prayer, what else is meant to be allegorized? Is anything else in this prayer intended to be allegorized or generalized? I couldn't find anything else that was meant to be taken allegorically, so I'm like, why take this any other way? All of these items in this prayer are listed as realities or requests to be taken literally. And so as I meditated on this, I saw no reason to take this part of the prayer any less literally than the others. The fact that I don't understand how it all works out is my problem to work out, not God's. But God is able and He is eager 
to help us if we ask him in faith. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lack wisdom, ask. He gives generously. And so we ask him this morning to help us understand how do we live? How do we actually ask this prayer in faith that he would give us each day our daily bread? The fact is, people around the world today and for millennia, people have understood what it means to not know where tomorrow's food is going to come. They really do live utterly dependent day by day upon God providing for them, or they starve. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. This is not a new concept or a new reality for the human existence. From the dawn of time until now, surviving day by day has been a normal part of human life. Scraping by is not reserved only for the sluggard who foolishly doesn't go to the ant and consider her ways. We need to be careful of using proverbs like this to justify our lavish lifestyles and the prudence of storing up treasures on earth and having hearts that are dangerously reliant on the deceitfulness of riches. No, the concept of daily dependence is not new. If anything, living in lash, lavish luxury and lavish abundance and having months and years stored up on hand is a new concept. But we are so quick to view it as a blessing of God. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we deny God, as Proverbs warns us, if we deny God in the process, and if we have lost any sense of what it means to be content with our daily food, our daily provisions, and if we end up arrogantly putting our hope in the uncertainty of riches and being stingy with what we do have, I think we'd all have to conclude that it is probably more of a curse and a blessing, at the very least, let's say a test. So that is my attempt, and that is my, I guess, attempt to answer what it means. It's just starting out, what does it mean, the very words that we're studying this morning, to give us each day our daily bread. And you should spend some time, it would do you well to spend some time really thinking, do I even know what this means? Can I even apply it? Can I truly pray this from the heart? And if not, confess it to the Lord. Bring it before Him, and He is faithful and just to not only forgive us, but to give us the power to do better, to view Him, to view our means rightly, and to not arrogantly view ourselves as the source of all sustenance and the kings and masters of our own universes and kingdoms. Confess it to God and pray that He would help you so the next question that I wanted to answer is, why is this included in this prayer? First and foremost, and I believe this is the case for everything, of course, is that it's here to glorify God. And I know that's easy for us to say because everything is meant to glorify God. But I think it's helpful if we kind of look through a little bit about how exactly does this prayer glorify God? I see it in maybe four ways. And, and to, to look at it 
I have to look a little bit at the Luke context, but also a little bit in Matthew. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we get the same Lord's Prayer, a little bit more details in the prayer, but the context gives us a little bit more of Jesus' flow of thought that I feel I'm at liberty to kind of pull into this context because his flow of thought in Matthew, I think, can help us uh, and certainly would be consistent with his flow of thought here in Luke. But first and foremost, in Luke, we know that um, it, we have to remember that we are who we are talking to. So in verse 2, this whole prayer is addressing our Heavenly Father. And so it's important to know that this prayer glorifies God because it exalts God as our Heavenly Father. We have to remember who that we're talking to when we come and bring this request to Him each day. So when we come to Him as little children, asking Him to give us our daily bread in need every single day, we exalt Him as our Father, as our loving Father who loves His children. So the first way is that it exalts God as our Heavenly Father. And similarly, the second way is that it exalts God as our provider. All through Scripture, God has desired to glorify Himself, to, to make a name for Himself as Jehovah Jireh, as the God who provides. He provides for His people both physically and spiritually, and all through the Bible, God has done this. God provided a wife for Adam in the garden when Adam was alone and it was not good, and so he provided a wife. He provided Eve. He provided animal skins to cover them after they had sinned. God provided a way of escape for Noah and his family when judgment was coming through a flood. He provided a ram when Abraham was going up to sacrifice Isaac. God provided a ram for sacrifice in place of Isaac. He provided manna from heaven and water from a rock when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for that all those years. And he provided sandals that didn't wear out for decades. He provided food for Elijah, sat by the streams and fed him with a raven. Crazy is that. God provides in miraculous ways, in everyday normal ways, and he provided for the widow who had enough food for one more meal. And Elijah came to her and said, God's told me, you got to feed me first. And she did in faith, and they never ran out of food. What she thought was one more day, God provided each day more and more and more because she stepped out in faith and believed that he would provide. In Matthew, we find that he provides for the birds of the air. He provided for Paul in all of his missionary journeys. And of course, of course, the apex of all of his provision is that he provided a way of salvation for you and for me through the blood of Christ. God is the God of provider, providing. He provides for us in every way, both physically, spiritually, everything we need. God is our provider. And on and on throughout the Bible, God has always exalted himself 
as Jehovah Jireh. And so we glorify God when we humbly come to him expectantly, prayerfully, faithfully, depending on him as our provider each and every day. So he exalts himself as provider. The third way that it brings glory to him is that it exalts God's view of us as his children in Christ. Matthew 6 says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The root of God's promise to provide for us is the high value that he has for us as his children. And all of this has been purchased for us by Jesus. We would have no right to ask him for anything. And he would have no requirement to give us anything, to love us in this way if it weren't for Jesus. And if it weren't for the work that he did by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Some of us need to be reminded that God loves us and he values us. And we need to stop worrying about tomorrow and we just need to trust him for today. That he will take care of us. Romans 8.15 reminds us that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, then heirs. We have everything. He loves us. He values us because of Christ, because of who we are in Christ. And it is the foundation for, his love for us is the foundation for any good thing that comes to us. Any expectation that he would feed us is rooted in who we are in Christ and who we are according to him. So there is a closeness, there is a fellowship and a relationship that we have with God that should be felt and it should bring us peace no matter what is in the pantry. No matter how much or how little. And Jesus purchased this for us at Calvary. This is a blood-bought promise. It's a reality for us who are in Christ and who have the Spirit of God living in us. Above all creation, above everything else that's been created, and above all the other humans out there who don't know God in this way, the Father loves you and He values you because you are His child. So we do not have to fear judgment or condemnation. And we don't have to fear being left on an island by ourselves, left to fend for ourselves alone. We can rest without any anxiety, as Matthew 6 constantly reminds us, without any anxiety, knowing that He values us as His children and will take care of us. And when we trust Him in this way, when we come to Him in this type of way, this type of relationship, it exalts the fact that we're His child. And it exalts His high valuing of us because of Christ. And He is glorified. Fourthly, it exalts God's kingdom. Matthew 6.31, again, the same context of the Lord's Prayer, says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? This is the heart of the prayer, right? 
What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There's an anxious heart that is so worried about the cares of this life, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, that we will tend to seek these things over and above the kingdom of God. We've already discussed the pitfalls of that. This heart is focused on the wrong things, and it tends to desire things. We always desire things that are consistent with our heart. And if our heart is in love with the things of this world, that's what we will be desiring, and that's what we will occupy our time. And a heart that is not seeking the kingdom of God will naturally be anxious. They will naturally be not trusting of the Lord. But for those of us who are truly trusting in God to provide for us, and we are able to pray that he give us each day our daily bread, knowing that he will because God loves us and he takes care of us as his children, we will be free to focus first on the kingdom because we won't be worried about all the things that we think we need. We will be focused on seeking his kingdom first. <clears throat> and we'll let him handle the rest, whatever that looks like. We just won't be worried about our kingdom when we are so eager to be a part of his. And it glorifies God when we exalt his kingdom over and above our own. So some thoughts for us today <clears throat> and talk a little bit about what's at stake. If we know that God is our father, because of what Christ has done, we know this. And we can truly trust him as our provider. And we know that he loves and values us as his children. And we are excited to seek first his kingdom above all things. How then should we live? How then would we live? If we know these things to be true, how would it affect our propensity to accumulate more and more, setting our hope on these things, would it have an effect on that? If we truly knew that God loved us, that God would provide for us, would we still have the same craving? Would we have the same longing to protect our future in a financial way or to control our own destiny? Would it have an effect on it at all? How would it affect how we view the resources that we do have and the opportunities that arise to help others in need? The Bible makes clear that we have resources to be a blessing to others, not just to ourselves. So if we knew that God would take care of us, we knew that we would have enough because he loves us as his children, would we not be more free to give? Would it have an effect on how tightly we cling to the things we do have? Especially when helping others tends to take things from us, emotionally, but also physically. 
Helping others tends to cut into our abundance. We praise the Good Samaritan for writing that open check and taking care of that guy who was beaten up on the side of the road. That Good Samaritan must have had some deep convictions that he would be taken care of. Because he risked losing much. As we look at opportunities with Operation Christmas Child and the many ministries around the world with Liberia and Guatemala and other places that Pat tells us about with community vet care, there are opportunities for us to be a blessing, to be used by God. And if we knew that we really were going to be taken care of, if we knew that he would provide for us, would we not be free to give? Would we not be more generous? As Paul tells us, to be generous with our things. How might it encourage us to hold on to our things loosely and be ready and eager to be generous, to take risks with our future because we know that God has our back. And we can truly trust Him as God, our provider, and we know that He loves and values us and because we're excited to see His kingdom come above our own. This should have a joyous and very freeing effect in our lives that pushes us in a direction of being content with less and being generous with more. Again, I can't give you a specific on that. You have to figure that out for yourself. But I do believe that the more we feel secure and God's love for us and His providing for us, we will be content with less as we love Him more. And as we see Him more clearly as our provider, we will be content naturally less and we will be more generous and eager to share what we do have in the cause of love, to spread that love to others. And maybe then we'd be able to pray that God would give us each day our daily bread but I fear that there is an obstacle to this that we must address in our hearts and perhaps confess to God. Because He's the one that needs to do what is needed to really free us from this bondage, if you will, to our stuff, to our insecurities, to our fears of never, ever having enough. There is an obstacle, and it has to do with our skewed view of what it means to have daily needs, to what our daily needs even are. Now, my disclaimer for you here is, if the shoe fits, wear it. I think most of you know what that means. Basically, if it applies to you, take it. If it doesn't apply to you, if you figured this out, then just help, help me. Come, come and talk to me after. But this is a topic that I think we in America really struggle with. We have a hard time really understanding and applying what this even means because we have a skewed view of daily needs. We can offer up lip service to God about how much we trust Him, all the while filling our pantries with days and days and days worth of food, maybe weeks. And I know our refrigerator often grows science experiments that result in more food being wasted and thrown away than a lot of people around the world eat probably in a week or a month. 
It's easy for me to be critical of myself, my family, this church, and our culture. And the truth is, very few of us have ever really felt the weight of only having enough food in the pantry for one more day. We've never really understood, really understood what it means to trust the Lord, that He will provide for tomorrow, and again tomorrow, and then the next day, and the next day. It feels like the opposite of blessing as we've come to define it. It's so distant from our experience. We tend to want to search for another meaning, as I've already articulated earlier. We want to to define it in a different way so it makes sense to us and we can actually apply it. Give us each day our daily bread can't possibly mean what it appears to say. So we're forced to Americanize things a bit. Instead of bread, let's go with four-course buffets. And instead of daily, let's go with, I need, I need insurance for the next 20 years. We try to broaden its meaning to provide for our needs in, in, in a very general sense. Which again, that would be right. But then you have to ask yourself, what do you mean by provide for our needs? What are our basic needs? Basic American needs? Starbucks? Internet, phones with data plans, well-manicured lawns, date nights, Spotify premium, cars for every child, rooms for every child, rooms for children that have already left the house, just in case they come back, college, Competitive sports, retirement. I'm not sure the list ever stops. How we would define daily needs or daily bread, even if you generalize it to basic needs, God provide for my basic needs, start itemizing it out. I I dare you. Everyone in this room lives so far above daily bread level, we just don't even know how to apply this phrase, this part of the Lord's Prayer. Because if we're honest, we just don't feel that desperate. We don't feel like we're that much in need day by day by day. I can go weeks, honestly, I can go weeks, probably a year, without giving any any thought of God providing for me. We just don't feel that desperate. We feel like we're in control. We feel like we've got this. And maybe worse, as Proverbs 30 has warned us, perhaps we are enjoying our fill and denying our God saying, who is the Lord, without even realizing it. So we recite the Lord's Prayer and we ask God to give us each day our daily bread because we know that we should. And yet the lavish, self-indulgent lifestyle of abundance continues. And everyone around us is doing the same thing, pursuing all the same level of basic needs. 
same American dream, and so it all seems okay to us. After all, still alive, God hasn't struck us dead yet. We seem to be getting away with it. But it just doesn't feel okay. And it doesn't feel consistent to me with what we read in the Bible. I read the stories in the Old Testament, and I read Paul, and I read how dependent these people were on God, and I read how they viewed being on mission. When we look at the full counsel of God, we have to understand that there are big things at stake in our getting this right. And all this lavish, potentially God-denying lifestyle that we live, it seems that we will risk robbing God of His rightful place as provider. This should not be okay with us. If we risk the glory that is due to Him alone as provider, and we also miss risk missing out on the joy of living day by day by day, I can't imagine. This is a stupid illustration, but I really didn't even want to say it. But it was just so obvious to me as I was preparing for this. Um, the joy of living right on the brink of what's next, I don't know what's next, is not something I have commonly had to deal with. But laundry sometimes gets backed up. Now, I don't want you to miss the weight of what I'm saying by the stupidity of this illustration. But it, it hit the mark for me. Laundry can sometimes get backed up. So if you're looking for an opportunity to help our family minister to us, laundry would be a great opportunity. And so sometimes I can go get really close to, like I'm in my, everybody knows what B undergarments are. Everybody has their A, their primary undergarments, and they have the B. Sometimes I've gotten to C before, C-level undergarments, and I'm like, this is bad. And I'm like, I don't know where, what I'm going to wear tomorrow. And I, I vividly, this is, this is a, a real illustration. This has really happened to me. I went, woke up the next morning, went to go get dressed, planning to rewear what I had worn yesterday. I really, honestly don't know how I got there. There was, there was, can I say underwear? There was underwear in my little basket. A, like primary, like top level underwear. My, the best of the best. I don't know how I got there. I truly, honestly, the joy, I, this is stupid, I know. <laughs> but the joy that I felt knowing that what I thought was a bad situation was there's God provided underwear. He really did. I mean, I know the day before it was gone. I was wearing the last C with whole, I mean, anyways. The joy that I felt, and this is as I'm preparing for this message, and I thought, I've got to share this. I'm like, no, you can't. But it's true. The joy that I felt in having God provide when I thought there was nothing left, 
I hope you get what I'm saying. It was real for me. Yet I would never volunteer. I would never be intentional about living that close to the edge with my food or with anything else with my retirement. I can't live that vicariously. I can't trust him that much. But just imagine if there's as much joy as I felt in him providing in that way, how much more would it be to be able to know day by day by day to make choices with how we live our lives, with the things that we accumulate, the things that we do to be right. Just to, we're all thrill seekers, right? Maybe some more than others, but to just intentionally live right on the edge of, God, if you don't act, I'm cooked. I'm done. I got nothing. And then for him to provide, I know Pat has story after story of it happening in the mission field, right? You go and talk to people in Liberia and in Guatemala and around the world. You can talk to people in America too. I know that there's, there's examples of destitute people, that people you know, in poverty and in, in impoverished situations where they don't know where their food is going to come, and God provides in miraculous ways. So, there's a lot at stake. God's honor, God's glory as provider. The other thing that's at stake is it robs us of our joy. We control, we seek to control everything that we have every single day for the next 20 years, 30 years, and we think that we can control that. And to some extent, we can. You're only robbing God of His glory and you're robbing yourself of the joy of being truly dependent upon Him and seeing Him provide in ways that He promised. To provide in ways that only He can do. You're robbing yourself of joy. We exist to showcase His worth. His trustworthiness and His abundance. His sufficient, sufficiency, not our own. If anybody knows the story of George Mueller, I encourage you to get his biography. I've read enough to know his story. I haven't read all of it. But I do know that his life mission, when he started an orphanage back in the 1800s, his motivation was just this, to... He prayed earnestly. His heart's desire was that he might live a life, and this characterized all of his life, not just the starting of this orphanage. He said he prayed earnestly that he might live a life and do a work which should be a convincing proof that God hears prayers and that it is safe to trust Him in all times. So he started an orphanage. And he wanted to prove to these little kids who had nobody. He wanted to prove to them day in and day out that God is trustworthy. He never sought a dime from anyone. And yet God provided for them day after day in miraculous ways.
I can't imagine the joy that he experienced day in and day out, seeing the Lord answer specific prayers when he would get up each morning and pray that God would provide for something very specific and God would answer it. Can't imagine the joy and the God-honoring experience that those orphans had in seeing him, seeing God as their provider. Can't imagine being on the front line like that. The front line of seeing God answer very specific, life-sustaining prayers, time after time after time. We're robbing ourselves of that if we just take it all in our own hands. I know that you've probably experienced this joy as well at times. Not about stupid things like I did, but I'm sure you've experienced tight times, difficult times, where you didn't know where how you're going to pay the rent. And I'm sure that God came through for you because He loves you. Because He provides for His children, He may have not provided exactly the way you wanted, but you're here. He provided for you. He kept His word. We need to make sure that we don't attribute promises to Him that He hasn't actually given us. He hasn't promised me the house I'm in. He hasn't promised you the job you have. He hasn't promised you he could take he could take your retirement funds like that. None of it is promised. So don't think that you're being a child of God means that I'm guaranteed keeping that fat retirement plan or this job that I am very thankful for. It's not promised. Our very life is not promised. But to be on the front line, to intentionally make decisions that put us right on the brink of, I don't know, Jesus says don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? Maybe this he's saying, do it, test me. See that I don't, open up storehouses and give to you everything that you need. He is faithful to take care of us. So it would seem that God's glory and our joy are at stake. And these are two things that we should really take seriously and care a lot about. And I have to admit that when it comes to this, sometimes I feel like Anybody know what a monkey trap is? I've experienced that, seen it. I feel like the monkey, they used to cut these little coconuts or maybe a little, little bottle. And the, the, the hole in the bottle is large enough to get their hand in, but it's not big enough that once they, they put like a banana or something inside it, when they grab the banana, the hole's not big enough for their fist to get out. They're too stupid to let go of it. That's how I feel. I feel like that stupid monkey that's trapped to this little bottle with a banana inside of it, tied to a tree, flipping around, acting like, you know, he's trying to get loose, ripping his arm off because he won't let go of the banana. 
with his fist clenched tightly, it just won't fit through the hole. But if he would just let go, he would be free to enjoy all that God designed him, gave him to enjoy, even the monkey. We need God to humble us. Again, don't attribute promises that he didn't promise. We need to remain humble, and we need God to give us hearts that are more and more captivated by Jesus in his worthiness, his worth, his goodness, his beauty. More captivated by him and less captivated by the things of this world. That's how the Holy Spirit helps us in this. Is that he gives us a clearer, sweeter, more beautiful taste of Jesus than anything else that we could taste in this life. It's the only way to get this right. To become more in love with Jesus and more numb to the things of this world that we're willing to let go. We're willing to let go of that banana and be set free from all that binds us and ties us down, all the misguided hope that we have in the things that we store up. It frees us from our insatiable craving for more and more and more. And it helps us to be content with less and generous with more. We're free to give because we know God will take care of us. And I'm not talking about sacrificing things in an aesthetic. Asceticism is of no value. We learn that in Colossians. It's the heart where this battle is fought. So I'm not talking about being content with less, generous with more out of duty, or any kind of self-righteous asceticism way, but in a way that is foundationally and fundamentally God-dependent, joy-filled, and kingdom-seeking. I want us all to learn what Paul learned, and he states in Philippians 4, verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How often do we just abuse that verse? It's in the context of living rightly with this context of what we're talking about today. You want to be strengthened by God for marathons? Great. Don't use this verse. Use this verse to, to help you navigate the temptations to rely on ourselves. To lay hold of all that this world has to offer and to depend on ourselves more than we depend on God. Depend on His strength for that. Now, it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that even for Paul, this was a secret that needed to be figured out. But by God's grace, we will learn it. God's glory depends on it. Our joy depends on it. And when we do, I think we will truly be able to say 
to our Heavenly Father that he would please give us each day our daily bread, and we would mean every single word of it. With true sincerity of heart, we would come to him and say, give us every single day. We would come to him each day because we need it each day. And we would, with true sincerity of heart, come to him and find the life that God intends for us, one of joyful dependence.